everybody. How is it going? Hope you're doing great. Dylan Bowman here. Thanks so much for tuning into the Pillars podcast. Today, I want to do something a little bit different and just talk about some of the news and happenings in the great sport of trail and ultra running. Just uh, provide some general commentary and give you, the fans of the sport, a little insight into how I view some of the current happenings in our sport. And when I first started this podcast, uh, now more than a year ago, this was one of the things that I was most excited about doing. Uh, Something that I don't really think exists, at least to the standard that I'd like to see. That is just general commentary, analysis, and information about what's happening in the sport in audio format. Um, And it's something that I genuinely enjoy doing. That is just talking about the sport (laughs) as a sports radio buff and and rabid fan of athletes and events um, and everything that makes ultra running great. And uh, obviously, of course, in 2020, there was not a whole lot to provide analysis on, uh, but I really do think there is enough material now to talk about. Uh, so I hope you will entertain me while I spend this episode just providing a self-indulgent monologue on current events in our sport. I know there have been too many Dylan-heavy episodes recently with the uh, recent Pillars announcement and the Ask Me Anything. I promise promise. I have some awesome guests coming up. In fact, I might put out two episodes this week um, and we will continue to have many more dialogues than monologues going forward, I promise. But for now, you're stuck with me and me alone. And the first thing that I want to talk about, of course, was the Hoka Project Carbon X event that was held in the Phoenix area over the weekend. I'm sure anybody listening to this at least has a general idea of what happened over the weekend. But just to recap, of course, Hoka One One, one of the uh, biggest, greatest sponsors in the sport of trail and ultra running, put together a 100-kilometer world record attempt with uh, several of their marquee athletes on a closed course, um, again, in the Phoenix area. They did this sort of in the same fashion that Nike did the original break two project um, in that there were pacers and uh, like I said the race was held in sort of like a controlled environment on a closed course in a place that was conducive to going fast and watching it over the weekend um, in a lot of ways I feel like it played out much like that original breaking two project did from Nike back in 2017 and I can remember I was in Croatia at the time when Nike did the original breaking two. Uh, I was there for the 100 miles of Istria and I remember sitting on the bed in my hotel room and uh, watching this, uh, this riveting um, live stream of the breaking two attempt. Um, but I recall as I watched and, and saw the first two athletes falling off the pace, um, you know, somewhere around the middle of the race, it it sort of became clear that this could turn into somewhat of a a marketing disaster for Nike, uh, having two of the three guys fall off. And if the third guy started to fall off, it would have been 
quite in an unfortunate way to introduce uh, their now, um, you know, unprecedented shoe to the market. Uh, and this event obviously had a huge impact on um, not only the success of the rollout of their 4% shoe and all the subsequent models that have come since then, but also in bringing Elia Kipchoge to the stature of being, you know, the greatest marathoner of all time. But as I said, it was very similar in that, you know, two, the, two of the three athletes fell off around halfway. And if Kipchoge will, would have fallen off, Nike would have come off looking pretty silly. And and would have, you know, walked away having spent God knows how much money trying to break the two-hour threshold. And of course, Kipchoge uh, ultimately finished just over that two-hour threshold. I think it was like two hours and 25 seconds. But in the process, totally blew everybody's mind and, you know, probably sold <laughs> tens of millions of dollars of Nike shoes as a result and, you know, made it clear that this, um, this record attempt, this two-hour threshold in a controlled environment like they were uh, holding it in actually was possible that this seemingly, um, you know, unbreakable mark was actually something that was achievable. And of course, he then went back and broke that mark a year, a year and a half later. But the uh, Hoka Carbon X event played out basically exactly like that. There was a big group of athletes, including Hayden Hawks and Cole Watson and Tyler Andrews, um, who I think sort of made up um, the front pass in addition to Jim Walmsley. And of course, all those guys ultimately fell off the pace um, and nobody else could really pace Jim, leaving him to heroically chase the 100K world record on his own, uh, which he did proudly and bravely to the bitter end. Um, but of course, Jim did narrowly miss the 100K world record, just like Elliot Kipchoge did in the Nike Breaking 2 project, this time only by 12 seconds. Uh, so it was pure entertainment all the way to the end. Um, and, uh, you know, and in some ways, I feel like even though he missed the record, it was kind of perfect in all ways. Uh, obviously, it was great for our sport, having not had much to spectate or cheer for or, um, you know, much... Uh, to provide a lot of inspiration, but uh, Hoka put on a great event, so kudos to them. Um, they nearly broke the 100K world record. Jim was heartbreakingly close, um, but shattered the American record in the, in the process. And in my podcast with him, uh, we talked about how he always seems to come up short on his first try at things. And, and sometimes even in a second try at things, if you look at Western states and UTMB, uh, but he seems to always eventually figure, out, figure it out in a way that typically results in record book incineration. So I have no doubt that he'll go after this again. Uh, and coming up short this time only makes the story that much better and uh, that much more entertaining for us, the fans of the sport. So thank you, Jim. Jim Walmsley is fast.
that is the hot take that is the expert analysis and commentary that you can only get here <laughs> on the Pillars podcast. Uh, I know Jim is planning to do Comrades in June. Um, so, you know, between now and then, I think he's actually also going to be going for a golden ticket at the Black Canyon 100K. He said on the podcast here that he'd like to have the option to do Western States. Doesn't sound like he's fully committed to it yet, but he is on the start list for the Black Canyon 100K in just a couple of weeks. So hope he recovers well and, uh, will be exciting to see that race go down also in Arizona very soon. Awesome racing happening again. Oh, feels so good. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, um, sort of something that, you know, I find really interesting and that is just kind of like the industry side of the sport. And obviously at the turn of the new year, um, it's quite, um, common for there to be a lot of news on the sponsor front, you know, when, what athletes are switching sponsors or, or losing sponsors. And in the second half of 2020, I was super fearful given the COVID situation and the subsequent economic impacts that it's had on brands. Um, I was really nervous that we were going to see sort of like a, a mass budget cut this year. Um, but it didn't seem that that happened. Um, so it did seem that brands are remaining committed to our sport and their athletes. So shout out to those brands who are in our sport and who are remaining committed, even though I'm sure, um, they're under a lot of stress as well. So, you know, on behalf of the athletes who want to devote our lives to this path, it, it does mean a lot, but, you know, to, notable sponsor changes that we did see that I think are interesting. Uh, both came from Nike. Obviously, Camille Heron moved over to Hoka. She was also at the Hoka Project Carbon X event over the weekend. She unfortunately didn't make it to the finish line, but she did give it a valiant effort. Um, and uh, that type of event is right in her wheelhouse. So if they do put it on again um, for both Jim and Camille and other athletes on their team, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see her nail that. Um, but she left for, for Hoka. And um, also David Laney left Nike as well after many, many years under that banner. David, uh, I know, is a, a Portland or a, an Oregon boy. He, uh, I think, had a lot of uh, sort of loyalty and history with the brand. But he did move over to craft sportswear, which is a Canadian brand that mostly focuses on Nordic skiing, I think, uh, but who seems to be uh, attempting to make a mark in the running world. Of course, they uh, were sponsoring Tommy Puzzi uh, before he uh, fell, fell ill. That's Tommy Rives Puzzi, uh, who we all know and admire uh, in the sport. Of course, he's really been battling 
some very serious health issues, cancer uh, for the past several months. Uh, but Kraft was sort of came on as, as Tommy's main sponsor, I think around this time last year uh, before he unfortunately uh, started dealing with his very serious health issues. Um, so, you know, shout out to Kraft. Um, I don't know much about this brand except for that I think they're Canadian, uh, but I'm glad to see Dave Laney land on his feet. We are supposed to record a podcast about this soon, this and, and other things, obviously. Uh, but I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about craft. It's great to see them support Tommy um, through, you know, what is obviously a very difficult moment in his personal life, um, but also obviously his athletic life. And uh, it's great to see them pick up Dave Laney, a fan favorite and a great, uh, great person in our sport. But it does make me um, just want to talk about Nike for a minute. I just find it crazy that Nike has put so little effort into our sport and managed to take such enormous market share, at least, you know, in the footwear space. Obviously, you know, the decision makers know what they're doing and um, they have, you know, high level strategy. But, you know, I'm not going to lie. It bums me out to see Nike just let these athletes go uh, to, you know, marquee, world famous, world renowned, well respected athletes um, without probably, this is just my assumption, but without putting up much of a fight. And, uh, you know, just as a fan of, of the brand, fan of the sport, I just think, you know, ultra running would benefit so, so much by having such an iconic brand in the space. And it would take such a tiny, tiny investment from them relative to the other sports that they have uh, presence in. Uh, it would take just such a small investment from them to have such a huge impact on our sport. And you know, I guess uh, that's probably the reason why um, they haven't made that investment. You know, they, they've seen that they can take just huge market share without really investing on the athlete side of things. So, you know, there's not much of an incentive for them to fight to keep their athletes when, you know, they're still going to sell tons and tons of trail running shoes with or without, you know, a top level trail running team. And obviously, like, I don't have inside information. I know Pat Werhane, um, you know, at least loosely, the athlete manager there. I know he loves the sport. Uh, I'm sure Nike's going to continue to make great trail product. Uh, so, you know, not a criticism, just an observation. You know, I hope Nike will eventually uh, grow its commitment and investment in our sport because I think it would make a big difference. And, um, you know, it, I think it would have a big impact in uh, ultra running's continued maturation and evolution. But yeah, on the sponsor front, it was really good to see that, um, you know, there wasn't this mass budget cut. There wasn't a mass release of athletes. And, um, you know, hopefully that uh, we've weathered the worst of that storm and uh, these brands will be able to recover as uh, society recovers and um, we can all start spending our money on great, great product to keep them all afloat, to keep our sport afloat. Um, 
So yeah, moving on, next thing I wanted to talk about is the emergence of Spartan as a very serious potential player in the event space in ultra running. Um, and guys, I find this like super, super interesting. Again, this sort of is in line with the last thing I talked about on the sponsor front, but I find the industry side of things to be quite fascinating. And it's something that, uh, you know, I like to observe. And uh, as a result, you know, I hope you find it interesting, but either way, I think it's important to sort of like have this information out there so you know we can have a better understanding about what the landscape is and um yeah i think spartan as i've looked into it is actually being pretty intelligent and methodical about how they are entering our sport of course they sort of made the announcement that they were going to be investing in trail and ultra running um you know kind of at the the exact wrong time in the history of the sport right as events were canceled for an entire year um but i was sort of perusing around on their instagram account the spartan trail world champ account i guess i'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can check it out as well but it seems that they've got sort of this World Series going on and there's going to be four marquee events this year in the Spartan Trail World Series. And those four marquee events are in chronological order. The Trans Grand Canaria, 120K, one of the world's most important races on the Canary Islands. It happens in the spring every year. I think it's at the end of February. The next race is the Patagonia Run Ultramarathon, a uh, destination, destination race in South America. Then next is the Lavaredo Ultramarathon, an iconic midsummer classic on the European circuit. And also, I guess, one of, yeah, one of the most important races in, in Europe during that time of the year. And finally, in the fall, Ultra Pyreneu in Spain, which is in October. Uh, not a well-known race in the U.S., but definitely one of the most important races of the late season in Europe. And, you know, this is, these four races, like this is a legit, a very legit calendar. Um, seriously high quality events. And, you know, though the series doesn't have like a Western States or a UTMB, you know, the quality of event I think is comparable to that of the Ultra Trail World Tour and will allow Spartan to have a real presence in the global ultra running conversation. Um, and the thing that I think is, is brilliant about how they're doing it is that they have both a short distance and a long distance option in each of these four marquee events, allowing athletes of all different strengths to compete in the distance of their, of their choice. Um, and as I said in the Ask Me Anything episode, I think this really gives Spartan at least a slight competitive advantage over the Ultra Trail World Tour or Skyrunning or the Golden Trail Series because it allows them to touch the whole sport. 
with, you know, with one series. And it's not just the long distances. It's not just the short distances. And thus, you know, the, tr- the, the runners, the athletes that are attracted to those types of races, because, you know, in a lot of cases, they are different. It allows them to touch the entire sport um, with the single series. And the way that I think about this is very much akin to Ironman. Um, and probably the best business decision that Ironman has ever made was introducing the 70.3 uh, or half, half Ironman distance and really like investing in that super, super heavily. Um, that's what really allowed them to touch a completely different athlete. It allowed people to race more and therefore interact with the Ironman brand more while still keeping it anchored, you know, to the full Ironman distance that remains sort of like the aspirational North Star in triathlon. And I think this is what should happen in our sport is that we sort of need to have this half Ironman and Ironman type model, I think, or at least I think the winning race series, the series that's going to be potentially the most important and be the most um, successful is that series that can touch every athlete in our sport, have the short distance option, have the long distance option, have both of them be equally, if not, you know, at least close to equally important, um, you know, have designations or classifications for both um, and reward athletes who interact with the series a lot, you know, and, and have the ability to, um, yeah, to, to grow the presence, the footprint within uh, trail and ultra running altogether just by being able to um, touch athletes of all different persuasions, people who don't necessarily want to do a hundred miler, but would love to do a trail marathon or a 50 K. Um, I just think that's brilliant. And, uh, I think it's going to allow them to be successful. And one of the other things that I noticed on the Spartan calendar that I think is very interesting, um, this is just information that I gleaned off of their Instagram account as well. Um, I noticed a, a little event that they've got going on. This is not on sort of their A tier list of races that included the races I mentioned a moment ago, Trans Grand Canaria, Patagonia Run, Lavaredo, and Ultra Pyreneu. So this is sort of like on the second tier of races, but uh, they have an event on there called the Golden Gate Classic. And it's scheduled, at least it appears to be scheduled for the fall of 2021. So, you know, having no personal relationship with Spartan, um, but generally um, having some common sense, it looks like Spartan has already picked up where the North Face left off and is resuscitating the great uh, former North Face 50 mile championship in the Bay Area. Uh, Again, it looks like it's scheduled for the fall of 2021. They don't have a more specific date than that. And it looks like uh, it's gonna be two distances, 100K and 42K. And um, so it's not gonna be a 50 mile race anymore, but it looks like 
Spartan is, uh, you know, taking a spot on the calendar that uh, had been, you know, one of the most important races in North America and one of, you know, the best races in the world, in my opinion. And I think one of, yeah, the, the highlights of the season and are bringing it back to life. And, you know, while, while it bums me out, I wish, I wish I was the person bringing this race back to life. Um, I think it's really, really good for the sport, particularly in North America, that this race continues. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, I don't have any inside information. This is just what I gleaned off their Instagram. And, uh, after Googling the Golden Gate Classic on the internet, um, but it looks like that race should be back at least in some capacity and, uh, hopefully with the same vibe and the same energy, uh, that the North Face 50 always held. So I guess my point is here that, you know, it seems to me that Spartan is playing for keeps and they seem very invested in our sport. Um, and I think the other thing that they have that could potentially be very valuable is standing relationships with television or, you know, media distribution networks from their broadcasts of their obstacle course racing um, you know, events that they've been doing for years and years. So that I think could really give them a competitive advantage as a series, even though, you know, they don't have UTMB, which is I think unquestionably the most important race in the world. They don't have Western States. Those are both over in the ultra trail world tour. They do have some great races. They uh, clearly have a pretty aggressive strategy and they have these, these media distribution relationships. And as I've always said, I think the brands and the races who will win in our sport and who people will um, have loyalty towards are those who tell the amazing story of our sport the best. So if Spartan can do that, um, you know, with their existing media relationships, I think that would be not only great for our sport, but obviously really good for, for their brand and for them, you know, as they attempt to be sort of like an authentic trail and ultra event based business. And again, I should say I have no inside knowledge or relationship with Spartan, um, even though they seem to be sponsoring some athletes. These are just my observations. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years if we ever run races again. Moving on, you know, I think it's fun this time of the year to talk about some races that could potentially happen in the future. Of course, as I just said, UTMB, the most important, the best race in the world, top to bottom, not only the uh, crown jewel, the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, the main race, but of course, CCC, TDS, OCC, all those um, elite start lists are now up on their website. So I will go ahead and link to those in the show notes. Um, but man, I went and perused and got all excited looking at uh, the UTMB start lists. 
Um, so, you know, if the virus and the universe are kind enough to let us gather in Chamonix again, it will be one for the ages. In my sort of commentary episode that I did around this time last year, I commented about the strength and depth of the American contingent that's going over to UTMB uh, last year. And that group, it looks like, is pretty much all going uh, back next year. So the American contingent, I think, you know, is really um, going to be, you know, strong. I could honestly see a uh, American sweep of the podium at UTMB. Of course, um, there's going to be a plethora, a huge depth of other international competition, but the American contingent is incredibly strong. Uh, most notably, uh, Courtney DeWalter, defending champion, Katie Scheid, who lives in Europe, but who is American by birth, and Caitlin Gerben, who I think has a great chance of potentially winning that race next year. Year. Hillary Allen, Sabrina Stanley, Stephanie Howe, Kelly Wolf, which was interesting to see. Uh, I don't think she's run a hundred miler yet. That's a big one for her to go after for her first try, uh, but she's done well at CCC. That will be awesome to watch Kelly go after. UTMB, Corinne Malcolm, Brittany Peterson, and uh, I'm probably missing one or two others, but I mean, that's a super, super deep American contingent. And of course, there are going to be a lot of Europeans and other international uh, athletes who will be battling it out for those podium positions, including Ragna Debats, uh, Spanish athlete. I think she's Spanish. Uh, actually, Oh, I can't remember. Maybe she's Dutch or something, but she is the defending CCC champion, uh, super, super strong athlete, was having an amazing ascent in the sport before COVID kind of brought everybody back down to earth. Uh, Lucy Bartholomew, Audrey Tenge, Beth Pascal, Ekaterina Matieva, Russian athlete who did very well at UTMB uh, the last time they ran it in 2019. So, um, you know, of course, the, the American women have had enormous success, especially compared to the American men over at UTMB, and they will be traveling as a very strong entourage uh, to the 2021 edition. Uh, but of course, there will be a lot of international athletes as well who will give them a good run for their money. But uh, man, it's so fun to see this start list and, and to start thinking about this stuff. On the men's side, of course, it's also completely bananas. We've got Jim Walmsley, Pau Capel, Xavier Thevenard, Francois Dane, um, Tim Tollefson, Dmitry Matieva, again, an, another uh, Russian athlete who's super, super, super strong, young, uh, very professional approach to the sport, somebody who I think could really uh, have a very successful debut. I think that's going to be his first 100-miler ever as well. Uh, and then some American favorites, Sage Kennedy, Zach Miller, Tim Frerichs, um, you know, all guys who I think, uh, you know, are less experienced or 
um, not or haven't haven't quite run to their potential at UTMB. Thinking especially about Sage and Zach in that category. I don't think Tim Frerichs has ever run a hundred miler before, um, but you know I think he certainly has all the potential to do very well. And then other international icons: Ryan Sands, Pablo Villa, Spanish athlete who is young, up and comer, world class, and. Uh, defending TDS champ. Um, and then Scotty Hawker from New Zealand who finished on the podium in 2019, get Grenius, who's been super strong there. And the list goes on and on and on. So uh, again, I'll link to the UTMB start list in the show notes. Um, super exciting to just see that. Of course, on that same page, you'll be able to see the CCC list, the TDS list. Uh, I guess I won't really go into those here, uh, just in the interest of time and not boring you, but uh, it is quite fun to look at the start list. So check out the show notes if you want the link to that. And finally, before we go, the last thing I wanted to talk about um, that's made news in our sport came from the people that cover the news in our sport, the great irunfar.com. This was really big news, caught me by surprise and uh, actually made me really happy. Um, it's really cool to see. Last week, Iron Far announced on their webpage, they published uh, an article announcing what looked like an acquisition to me um, by um, an organization called All Gear Group, which is underneath the umbrella of Lola Digital Media. Obviously, I don't know the specifics of the deal or the partnership or whatever it is, but at least to me, at least from the outside, it looks like uh, an outside investment. And it looks like Iron Farr is um, gonna be joining a larger organization that will give them much more support and ability to grow uh, not only their, their team, it looks like, they might be hiring some people to help them out, um, and, but maybe also kind of expanding their already inv invaluable footprint within our sport. Um, I'll link to that article as well in the show notes that went up on Iron Far last week. But yeah, basically it looks like Brian Powell and Megan Hicks are finally, after many, many years, getting a healthy return on the investment they've made on their life's work covering our sport, uh, a job I know uh, that's been very stressful and draining to them at times. Um, and while they're now part of a larger organization, it seems like they are going to be remaining committed to their mission of providing the best in class coverage of our great sport. Um, I've left the door open for them to come on and talk about this move on the podcast and what it means um, for if and when it ever makes sense, if they want to kind of talk about it publicly. But generally, I think this is very cool, well-deserved by them and good for our sport as a whole to have Iron Far with more support, with more ability to be innovative, to be creative, to maybe branch out into other um, avenues of you know sharing sharing the sport and having a, a little bit more latitude to reinvest in uh, in their company and everything that it takes to uh, to make it work. Um, okay, 
I think that's enough pontificating for now. Uh, Before we go, I just want to remind you to download the Pillars app on iOS for all the great running content we've been putting there. Um, Again, you know, it means so much. If you do enjoy the podcast, that is the best way to support it. I very much want to remain independent, want to keep the podcast advertisement free. So if you do enjoy what we do with it, uh, I spent a year uh, doing this, you know, totally solo, uh, paying for every episode that I put up out of my own pocket. I self-funded this whole app and yeah, want to remain independent. So would super appreciate your support. If you don't mind, download the app, become a subscriber. I promise you won't regret it. There's a lot of good stuff in there and we would love to have you part of our family over at Pillars. I did get an update that the Android version should be ready in probably about two weeks, knock on wood. I'll keep everybody posted on that front um, and do follow us at Pillars on Instagram. Sign up for our newsletter at pillars.com. I'll link to that stuff in the show notes as well. And if you have a minute, my final ask before I let you go, go leave me a rating review in the podcast player of your choice. Helps a lot. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But as always, thank you for being here. Again, we're going to have more guests to talk with very soon. I promise it's not just going to be me standing in front of a microphone talking ad nauseum but i hope you enjoyed it we'll talk to you soon love you bye